Hi, and welcome to Fussifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. So thank you, church, uh, for being here this morning. But again, let me commend you and thank you for the way you just... In these uncertain days when things... <clears throat> our worship team, for example, uh, because of uh, COVID, because of our younger ones getting part-time jobs, uh, because just of the busyness of this day, um, I don't think they've had a practice night now since December? Earlier, maybe? It's just been like on and off again. And, but I'm so grateful that they were able just to roll with that and and they work really hard in their practice, and to get up and and minister so wonderfully without practice is just it's it's just a confirmation of the skill level and the heart towards what they do. So thank you to the worship team too. Um, so here we go. Praise God. Praise God. Um, let's turn to the Word of God this morning. Let's turn again to Matthew five one to twelve. Thank you, Jesus. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed in the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, secretly, I, I had hoped to start doing maybe two or three of these different nine categories each Sunday. But the more I look at them, the more I realise they deserve their own. So it's going to take a little bit longer than I thought. Uh, last week, we looked at the truth, um, at that truth that when we come to that place, when we realise we're spiritual beggars... Um, totally dependent on the one who has an abundance of what we need. When we get to that place, then the resources of heaven are opened up to us and made available to us. And it's, it's at that place when we become spiritual beggars that we're at our most affluent, that we're at our most effectiveness in so many different ways. Um, this week, as you'll find as we go through, literally is linked. Uh, the first step is so necessary. This is the very next step. And, and as I look at these, I realize that Jesus wasn't just speaking out what was coming to his mind, but there was a, there's a strategy in, in the way he presents these. And each steps uh, are literally designed before you can... You have to step on that one before you can take the next step properly. So here we are today at Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, that word mourn here is, is the, the definition of this word mourn. The, the use of this word mourn is the st- 
strongest of all the definitions for similar words that we have in the Greek there. Um, it literally translates a grief too deep for concealment. Anybody knows what that's like? When you are so moved that you can't, you, usually when you're upset, you, we're good at, yes, you'll be right, mate. We cover it up. Um, I, I remember when we went to my brother's funeral and there were certain aspects because he, he was taken by a very savage, unique kind of uh, cancer and, and it hit him hard and, and it didn't take very long but he was only in his 30s when he passed away. And then when we went to his, his funeral, um, his wife, for some reason, demanded an open coffin. <coughs> and <coughs> and um, she said later that it was benefit of his friends, so they'd all believe that he's actually dead. Uh, but I know she was angry at God, she was angry at the church, and I think she was angry at us, um, and we decided that this funeral was just more about her because we knew Andrew was safe in heaven. And so we just, now looking back, I, I probably in my understanding now, I would do things completely different. But when I saw him, and, and it was a hot day, and he'd obviously been in the freezer, and so he, he looked, he's in his 30s, but he looked like in his 70s and his eye sockets had shrunk, and there was condensation that had gathered in the eyes. It, it brought, I just fell. And, and my brother also, my other brother Stephen, he, he just broke. He wept so deeply to the point where my father said, get up, you're embarrassing us. And, and we literally just pushed him away, and, and Stephen had to do it. I was moved like Stephen was incredibly gripped, and and it's that kind of grief, that kind of mourning that you can't conceal it. And anybody been there? Uh, there's been a couple of times in my life when I've, I've got to places where in most things I can be pretty stoic. You know, I can a stoic, I can, I can keep my face straight. Inside I might be a mess, but I can, keep, I can keep my face straight. But there's a couple of times where it's just unconcealable. You just uncontrollable you can't contain it and and that is this word here it's not just sad or grieving this is the hardest word that they could find that they had for this expression um, so when we look at this passage we we normally because it's this whole chapter is a spiritual thing um, blessed be so we normally say okay he's talking about it a grief or a mourning over our sin. But I'm suspecting that the way they use this word, this thing runs far deeper than that. It's not just the regret that of our sin um, at all. I, I think there's a lot more to that. Uh, let me show you something in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Um, it, it reads like this. Even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it. Even though I felt awful for a moment when I heard how it grieved you, now, now I'm overjoyed. Not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You're, you experienced godly sorrow. 
and, and as God intended. It brought about gain for you, not loss, so that no harm has been done by us. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. I, I want you to notice here that it appears there's a correlation. So he, he's actually saying there's a level of grief that comes, a, le a level of mourning that comes um, when you're convicted of your sin. When that revelation comes, when the light shines on the darkness, when it's being exposed, all of a sudden there's, there's this genuine grieving over your, over your sin. And, and so he, he's making that clear and he said, but you know what, this, this is good because it leads you to a better place and, and there's a joy attached to this. But, but I suspect that what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about in verse 4, is, is a little bit deeper than that. Um, even in this passage here, it appears like there's a correlation between the level of grief and the depth of repentance. And uh, let me say, I understand and you understand that sin is sin. There's not one sin that's worse than any other sin. There's not one sin that demands a greater payment than any other sin. Sin is sin. The deal is, no matter what kind of sin it is, when we sin, we break the law, the whole law. So it doesn't matter if it appears minor in our own logic and understanding or if it's something really severe and harsh. It, it makes no difference when we sin. Any sin, we break the law and we're guilty of breaking the law. Right, and so for some of us, there's some things that we consider sin that is, oh, yeah, you know, that's not right, we understand, but there's some other stuff in our lives that is so severe that you know, when we realize what's happened, um, we are moved. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sure it's the same. Uh, there's been times in my life when this God's dealing with me, and there's things that happened that I was guilty of in my past that I truly regret and I have shed serious tears on my knees over those things. But there's other things where I thought, you just talk to me and I go, that was just dumb. I, I'm not grieving, I'm embarrassed because that was so dumb. You understand what I'm saying? So there's a mixture there. But don't forget, always remember that sin is sin. It's not, you're not just guilty of doing something dumb, you're guilty of breaking the law. It's just that there seems to be this correlation between the grief and the depth of our repentance. And, and I think to a degree that's necessary. Um, but now I want to take it to a different perspective and look at this a different angle. Um, when we become aware of the consequences of our sin. Uh, and, and let's even take it a little bit deeper. When we become aware of the, how the consequences of our sin affect those around us which can be ranged from really so what to devastating life-changing life-damaging events I think that's another level right there when we become aware of the consequences of our sin has, has affected the lives of those around L listen to this in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, New King James, flee sexual immoral, uh, immorality. 
Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But do you commit sexual immorality, sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The reason I'm reading this is to show these different categories that Paul highlights here. Um, there's a sin that affects the outside, but there's a sin that affects the inside. And not just the person doing the sin, but it can have tremendous, tremendous consequences, terrible consequences, even to the point of generations sometimes. I, I think in my own family experience how the way that my parents' marriage broke up um, affected us six children completely different. But each one has a different level. But his, I, I can tell you about brother or sister who it affected so badly, it changed their life for the worse. Others, yes, it was sad and it was touchy, and, but you just got to breathe deep and get on with stuff. And, and it has to do, I suppose, with the temperament of the person that's receiving the news. But the deal is, there seems to be this category where he says there's the effects of sin. Uh, and, and can I? I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to take a little side note here. And I'm taking a side note for two reasons. I'm taking a side note because when I first got saved and, and was a bit ignorant, a lot ignorant, I don't know if you know, but I think you've heard the testimony how my wife used to smoke. And um, one day she asked me to go for the shops for cigarettes and I, I laughed and said no. And I misquoted the other Bible verse, which is 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, which sim says the same things but goes like this. Do you not know? Oh, and, and my Bible, I was like full on then, you know, because we was passionate, but now I'm getting into it. So James bought me a Thomas Chain reference, King James Version Bible, big, heavy, thick leather case. Go to church like this because I'm a serious Christian. And I'd found this first. So Jane, this day, struggling, really doing it tough. Would you go and get some cigarettes? Because I didn't understand. I never smoked, but oh, so self-righteous. There's lots of other things I did much worse. But anyway, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And whosoever should defile it shall surely die. <laughs> Only to be greeted with a woman screaming and with a big knife in her hand chasing me around the house. I was laughing, but on the inside I was terrified. I knew. I, I knew she loved me and she wouldn't intentionally kill me, but she might accidentally kill me. But here's the deal. Um, and this is why I'm going on this little bit of a rabbit track right now. It's firstly because I quite completely misinterpreted that scripture. The truth is, when you look at the passage and those two verses, which are very similar, Paul is talking about sexual immorality. He's saying, hey, don't you know, it's not, it's not cigarettes, or it's not this, or it's not that. 
It's sexual immorality that defiles the temple. I say that in my embarrassment, uh, but also in my education, that that was completely wrong. But exactly in the same way today, there's people still quoting this verse about vaccination. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And they think that by putting an vaccination in your body, you're defiling the temple. And that's the way they use the verses. But it's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with sexual immorality. And on top of that, Jesus says, it's not what you put into your body that defiles it. It what comes out of your body. That, what comes out of your heart, because in your heart, is all this greed and lust and selfishness. and He says it's what comes out, out of the abundance of the heart and it's what comes out of a person's heart that defiles them, not what you put into the body. Okay? So this is the end of my first rabbit track. <laughs> Only because I want us to... I'm still making up to my wife for my stupidity and my ignorance, but also I don't want any of us to be ignorant. It, it's really... And, and I agree with Shane Willard in some of his video series we watched when he would say, it's not right that the world should look at the church and find us arguing about things. It's not. And part of my role is to make sure that we're not ignorant and, we're, and there's some things not worth arguing about. But I want us to know. Because, you, you know, here's the thing. People will get around other people they know as Christians and try to influence them and oftentimes they misquote the scriptures to do it. I don't want that to happen here and I don't want any of us to be a victim. I want us to forgive them and I want us to feel sorry for them and, and it's hard for them to teach them the truth because they're so dogmatic and set in their ways and, and so I do feel some stuff was revealed to us over the weekend where I was really upset and a bit cranky and the old man rose up and I, I wanted to respond but I thought no because this is a bad witness my response is going to be a worse witness than what they actually did or said because I we got to grow up and right now some of the church looks really dumb and stupid and I don't want the whole church to look dumb and stupid I I went to one the world looks as to see mature grown-ups <laughs> acting like Jesus. Anyway, um, sorry for that. I'll move on. Um, remembering the reason I introduced this thing in the first place was to show how Paul categorizes the uh, consequences of sin. Right? It's all part of this argument I'm building. So, um, the consequences of sin can have dramatic contrasting effects on us, but also on the world around us. We're probably oblivious to this, but we can, we can really influence the world. People are listening and watching all the time. And while they might not understand, they're influenced by the way they see us respond or act. And so 
the, um, the point is here, the consequences of sin can have contrasting, dramatic effects. Uh, as I said before, where something we've done wrong, there might people around, might around us might, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, so what? Who cares? They can work that out. Two, absolutely devastating, dramatic, devastating life change influence that takes time, long time to get over. And so we need to be aware of the consequences of this, of our sin. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it plenty of times in our own personal families and also the families of the churches we've been connected with. Uh, I've seen how it has affected people at times very dramatically. Um, but listen, I want to add to this, to the point I'm going to make. And I'm turning to Isaiah 53, 1 to 6, the wonderful prophecy of Jesus. Uh, but listen how it goes. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. L listen to this is the phrase. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's the point. Jesus was called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And before we get tempted to think, yeah, because he's, he's considering how, what he's got to go through right now. Um, you know, he's considering how he's going to be betrayed, how he's going to be, they're going to lie of, against him there's going to be false accusations he's going to be uh beaten and tortured humiliated and and then he's going to suffer and he's going to be murdered he's going to be killed uh, before we're tempted to think like that let me remind you what hebrew 12 says it says looking hebrews 12 2 looking unto jesus the author the finish of our faith who for the joy that was set before him who for the Joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus is going through this, sure, there's all this uncomfortable stuff, but it says his motivation is joy because he's seen results. He's seen what's going to be accomplished. He's seen us being reunited with the Father and, and being brought together eternally. So, so let's not think that when it talks about Jesus as a man of sorrow and grieving, he's thinking about his suffering on the cross. I don't believe he is at all. Can I suggest that I think that the Creator, Jesus our Creator, was more aware than most, was probably the most aware of, of the most wonderful 
and the most beautiful, the beauty and the wonder of all creation. And, and the pinnacle of creation, God's finest accomplishment, was the, when he created man and woman. And, and God looked at it and went, this is good. Like, you know, that, that's, that's Hebrew, this is good. But, but I reckon in Australia, God would have sat back and, this is awesome, mate, this is great. This is really cool. When he looked at us. So, so here's the thing. I, I think the creator sees the wonder and the beauty of all his creation. But at the same time, he, he sees the ugliness and the horror of what we're capable of. He sees and knows the beauty and the wonder of men and what we've accomplished. The amazing accomplishments whereby, you know, in medicine, in science, in development, where we make life better for people. But at the same time, the same men move in incredible selfishness, do horrible things to each other. I think he's conflicted. And I think that's what moves him to grief. And, and I know, I, don't, I know that, uh, and I, I don't know this, I think that most of us will be the same. Most of us, and, and this has happened recently for us, most of us would be all in awe at the beauty and the wonder of creation. N not just like from um, documentaries and stuff, although that's part of it. Not just from nature itself, but from mankind. You just stand in awe at, at the beauty of it, the wonder of it, the amazement how we're able to accomplish such wonderful things for the benefit of everybody else. But at the same time, we know the darkness and the horrors that are going on even in our community today. And, and so you've gone from this mixture of this awe and wonder at, and, and, and what, if they can do that, what could we possibly accomplish? And just this is awesome. And then see the pain and the suffering and the injustice and oftentimes from the same people. And, and it, it conflicts us. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes you, we see stuff, we hear stuff, and, it, and, and it's devastating and it moves us and it grieves us the horrors and the pain that the innocent go through. Anybody here identifying it? Anyone's even just recently experienced something like that? When one moment you're just amazed at the machine and what it can do or the ingenuity, the design, the architecture, the wonder, the splendor, the magnificent art. It just, and then all of a sudden there's this, the horror and the ugliness. And you just... I can understand. I've heard people say, why would I want to bring a child into this world? And, and I can understand that because it's so wicked. But at the same time, why wouldn't you when there's such wonder and beauty and potential? Who knows what they could accomplish? Here's the point I'm trying to make. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, I don't think he's talking about 
grieving over our own sin. I think he's relating to the guys who look at creation and are grieved and are so sad. Am I expressing myself? Because I'm sure most of us will have experienced that. It's not so much our specific sin, but it's just the horror and the pain inflicted on usually the innocent. And it grieves us. It takes our breath away to the point where we almost give up because this is so bad. This is so sad. And what can we do? I think when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who have realized the devastation of the fall of man, not just their own personal sin. And I think when we begin to be honest and we don't have to look in foreign countries or at strangers' faces, but people we love and care for, I think there's a grief there too deep to conceal and it can overwhelm us. But when he said, blessed are those who mourn, it says they shall be comforted. Um, So as it goes way beyond our personal sin, which is part of it, I'm sure it is, Um, there's something that's comforting in it all. This, the horror, the pain, the suffering, the injustice, it, it, it will cause a passionate lament because of the horrors, the ugliness caused by the fall of man. But it says we'll be comforted. So I believe when he's talking about mourning, he's talking about grieving over the injustice and suffering of mankind at mankind's own work. But in that grieving, in that mourning, there's one who comforts. And I think that's what we need to focus on this morning. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. There's a comfort. And he's specifically talking about the children of God. They're comforted especially those tender-hearted, innocent ones who sometimes get overwhelmed with the wickedness of the world, the devastation and the consequences of selfishness and, and greed. But, but here's the thing, he says, in, in that place where you're being almost inconsolable, there's one who can comfort you. He, Hebrews says, we don't come to a God who can't feel, who can't empathize, not only can he, he does. He Because empath- he's been through it. He went through it all. 
without sin, he emphasizes, without sin. And he is moved, he's green because of sin, not his own sin, but because of the fall. He's, he's, so we've got a God who's empathized, but he's also been through it, risen above it, and in it, he comforts us. There's a comfort for us. That's the promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here we're told that he's the God of comfort. And he gives us comfort. But there's a reason he comforts us. He says, so then in turn we can go. Here's the power of church. Here's the role of church. We have this revelation of God. We become aware that we're spiritual beggars. We can do absolutely nothing without him. We have nothing without him. We're lost, eternally lost. In fact, it sounds a little bit like me before I preach. I get in the back room and we pray. And we pray for everybody who comes. But me, I'm praying for myself. I'm going like this. God, you know I've got nothing unless you give it to me. I have nothing unless you come. I pray for these people that when they walk into this meeting, when they walk into this time, they'll find you. That you will fill this time. You will fill this meeting with yourself, with your presence, because I got nothing for them. So here, here's my heart and here's my head. Use it. I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's pathetic. But I'm in the back going, Here's, Lord, you've got to think through my brain because my thoughts ain't got it. You've got to feel through my heart because my feelings are up and down and not beneficial. Literally. Literally, Lord, give us, give us clean hearts and a, and a free head. But Lord, when we come, let us come to you. Let, let it be your words we hear. Let it be your heart we feel. So we do that. We're spiritual beggars. We're begging. And he said, okay, when you get to that place, here's the kingdom, the resources of the kingdom of heaven. So we know in this place this morning, the resources of the kingdom of heaven are available. So, so we get to that place. And, and, and in that place, oftentimes, there's a mourning because of sin. There's a grieving, sure, partly because of our own but partly the state of, of our community as we know it is devastated by horrible things. And, and so we cry out to him. But he said, okay, in that now I'll comfort you. And in that comfort, I'm going to give you hope. And, but this isn't just for you. I'm resourcing you with the, this stuff from heaven. Now you can take it out and, and give it to those. Let, let, let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. That we might be able, being comforted this morning. So I've given you the bad news, but I'm turning it around right now and giving you the good news and hopefully it's bringing some comfort. But that's not just to make you feel good about yourself and the situation you're you're supposed to get that now. We're supposed to take that to those that need it most. And again, I'm not talking about other countries, although other countries desperately need it. I'm not talking about those people we don't know, faceless masses, they desperately need it. I'm talking about people we know very well. People we live with, we care for. 
our friends, our families. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for them. And this morning, there's, there's some comfort giving. Because God, God empathizes. Can we, can we take communion right now? Part of this communion, the symbolism of this communion, is, is recognizing that, you know, we have grieved and repented and showed remorse over our own sin. But there's a great sin in the world. But he's the solution to it. There's a comfort that's already commenced when we started to believe. And of course, we're taking the symbols that represent the work that was accomplished to bring that to us. So remind yourself, you might be feeling, I, I might have had the opposite effect and you might be feeling, oh, it is, it's terrible, woe is me, what a sad time we live in. Uh, but we're entering into the best time, so let's remind ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken and your blood shed. Thank you, Lord. So, there's a comfort. And, and here's the deal. It's already working in our lives. It, we felt bad. We repented uh, of our sin. We grieved over our sin. In different levels, we mourned over our sin. And... and we don't hold on to that because we know we're forgiven of our sin. We're set free from it. So we're set free from our sin. We, we move now into a, a present, our future, and God says there's a comfort. I, be comforted. I, I've got this supernatural. In fact, the title of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. So we got this comfort that comes. But he, he's reminding us, hey, can I say that's just the beginning? And And if we can just start to understand that and practice that where the comfort we've been given we start now to distribute or help or give to those around us that need it but let me paint even a bigger picture for you and I'm going to close with this thought and I'm reading from Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's part of the end time story I like. That's the picture. You want to talk about end times? That, that is it. Where Jesus comes and he lives. He literally lives with people. He lives with us. And, and he wipes away every tear. He comforts all. That, that's why I think it's not just about mourning over our own sin. That's, I think, that's why I think it's the universal result of the fall, grieving over the fall of mankind, the sin that's entered the world because of the consequences of it. 
That's why I think, because at the end he says he's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more suffering, no more pain. Now, I don't know how he works that out, but I know he's already started. I know it's a progressive thing. I know I'm not waiting. Well, I sort of am waiting for the day when he comes and he's like, has this victory and puts everything. But I already know he's, he's doing it right now. There's an experience right now. There's a comfort right now. I don't know where you're at right now this day. I don't know what's happened this week or what you're facing next week. But I know he's with you and he's for you. And I know that um, sin, your sin, let's be specific and personal. Your sin, your mistakes, your greed, your lust, your selfishness, your sin has already been dealt with. It's not a problem. It's been dealt with. He's dealt with your sin. Sin isn't the problem right now. It's dealt with. But the consequences, you might be still walking through them. Your guilt, your shame, your regret, your embarrassment might be overwhelming. You might be still grieving and mourning of your own, over the consequences that you know somehow you're either fully or partly responsible for. But he says, okay, your sins are forgiven now. They're cast away from you. You want to be blessed now because the comfort has come. There's comfort for you. Let's pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, all kind of issues going on. All different levels. From confusion to really, really anger. From attitude that, oh well, don't care. Let them deal with it. Right to being truly mourning over situations. I pray right now that in this moment, the reality of your promise will be made known. The blessing that you spoke about here would not be just uh, intellectual, but be experiential right now. And that the Holy Spirit, the comforter sent from God, would in fact right now administer that comfort. We know in the midst of that comfort there comes hope. I do pray. I do pray for renewed hearts. I do pray for free minds. I do pray that each of us will be filled with your comfort and that each of us will go out and give it to somebody else. That your spirit will put the right words, your words in our mouth. We put the right feelings, the right emotions in our heart. We'd have the right thoughts. We'd see the opportunities. And we wouldn't regret them later, but we'd step out and take them as they presented to us. Oh Lord. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. 
Fill us with your comfort right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Oh Lord, ever mindful that this is the reason He came. Pay the price of my sin in full. Made restoration. Gave me access, gave us access to the throne of God. Opened the way for a wonderful relationship with our Father. Keep us ever mindful. Another facet of the work of the Holy Spirit It's almost like a sense, like, okay, you've done your best. And all I can do is be faithful to what I've had on my heart. But it's almost like I've got to get out the way and let him do his stuff now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.